Welcome to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. Hi friends, thanks for joining us again. As we get ready to break for a few weeks this summer, we wanted to share this episode, a conversation with Betsy Childs Howard. Betsy is an author and editor for the Gospel Coalition, as well as a pastor's wife and a mother who has a heart to pass along biblical gospel truth to her young son. Today, Betsy and I are talking about forming our moral imagination through literature. I love Betsy's newest book for children, which she shares about in this episode, and I know you're going to love what she has to share today, so let's get started. Welcome to you, Betsy. I'm so thankful to have you here today. Thanks for joining me at Women Encouraged. Thanks, Bethany. It's great to be with you. Would you give us a little introduction to who you are and maybe a little picture of what your life is like these days? Sure. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I was born into a Christian home and um, accepted Christ at an early age and never walked away from him, which I'm really grateful for. I have worked for a variety of different Christian ministries doing various kinds of writing. And currently I'm an editor for the Gospel Coalition. And my husband and I live in New York City where uh, he's a pastor. We planted a church here in 2017 called Good Shepherd Anglican Church. So I help out quite a bit with the church and we just had our first baby in May. That's so great. I love that. Um, How has the transition been from living in the South to living in New York City? It was a big change. I I approached it like a cross-cultural experience, which really helped, I think, because um, living here, we don't have a car. um, Everything's much more expensive. It's just a very different way of doing life. So approaching it as a cross-cultural experience helped. And I've I've gotten used to it and I like it here. That's so great. I'm very fond of New York City and I love talking to people who live there and just hearing what their life is like. You as a writer for TGC, you're also a book author, aren't you? Yes. You've written a couple of books. One is the children's book, which we're kind of going to be talking about something around that topic today. And we're chatting about moral imagination. And this is something that might be an unfamiliar phrase for some people. Could you explain for us what a moral imagination is and why that is something that Christian parents in particular should take seriously? Yes, when I use the word moral imagination, other people may mean something slightly different by it, but I use it to mean the ability to imagine the outworking of different moral choices that you might make. So rather than just doing something impulsively, you might think, oh, if I did this, this might happen and these might be the consequences. So to develop more of a moral imagination, uh, it helps to have experience But it doesn't have to always be your experience. Much of our moral imagination can be developed through reading stories, both true and fiction, so that we can think through the implications of moral choices 
with possible outcomes and make a more informed decision without having to necessarily just make a mistake for every learning experience. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So in terms of in terms of Christian parenting, is there a particular a particular compelling argument you might use with maybe a mom of small children or something like that? Like this is why you need to think about this with your children. Yes. So I would say your children are going to be formed. Their moral imaginations will be formed whether you do it intentionally or not. Right. The TV that they watch, the movies that they watch, the books that they read, all of that is input and it's all going to capture their imagination and help them form a worldview. So I think to be intentional about that at parent, as parents is really important so that we're helping our children see the world as God sees it. Uh, some people might say, oh, you just need to teach your children scripture, scripture and nothing else. Well, I certainly don't think scripture is in competition with forming children's moral imagination. In fact, it can be formed through scripture. But in addition to scripture, other good books, stories, fairy tales, biographies, all of these things are ways to help form our children's moral imaginations and their character in ways that conform with God's word, rather than just letting them passively be formed by the culture around them. Right. That makes so much sense. That helps a lot. Does our moral imagination continue to develop, do you think, throughout our maturity as a Christian? Or is that something that kind of ends at some point? I'm sorry, maybe that's a really difficult question to answer, but no, that's not a bad question at all. I, th- I think it, I think it probably continues to form for the rest of our lives, particularly people that continue to feed, feed their imaginations with books and stories and movies. Uh, and your life experience will also right. inform it as well. But, um, for children and teens, that's a, a crucial right. time. As I think about what I take in, like just having gone through a particular experience that has really made me think, I don't want to put something in my mind that is going to make me feel like this situation is okay. So just thinking about a particular moral choice or something like mm-hmm. that. And I was thinking mm-hmm. like, well, has what I've been taking in maybe on Amazon or books or Netflix or whatever you want to say, has that been forming my moral imagination in a way that makes me decrease my standard, I guess, for what is good and godly. And I think that there's a real danger in that. I'm really happy you explained that. Thank you. That No, you're definitely right. The things that we can conceive of doing, what we consume really can shape those possibilities. Whether something it seems like it's morally reprehensible or not, often depends on the way it's portrayed in the media that we consume. Yeah, that's so great to hear you explain that. Thank you. So you're a recent book, is such a sweet story. I really loved it. It's called Arlo and the Great Big Cover-Up. It's just this lovely picture of consequences and reconciliation and relief. Can you share what this story is about and what you're wanting to communicate, not just to children, but to parents through this story? I'm happy to. So Arlo is a little boy and he is having quiet rest time on his bed and his imagination gets taken up by a scratch that he sees on his wall. And he's, he starts to envision it being a face and he takes a marker and he decides to draw the face, which of course he's not allowed to do. And then he panics and he goes about furiously trying to cover up the fact that he's written on the wall. He, he's desperate for his mom 
not to know that he wrote on the wall. And he gets more and more miserable the more he tries to cover it up. He piles up toys on his bed and does several other things. And eventually, rest time's over and his mom comes in, so he hides from her. But of course, like most mothers, she's no dummy and she's she knows what's going on and she calls him out and he eventually confesses and then feels so much relief when his mother knows what he's done. And she has a conversation with him about when we try to cover up our sin, whether it's from your mom or from God, it only makes us unhappy. But when um, when we confess our sin, then we can be reconciled to God or to your mom. And she was actually able to clean off the wall for him. So he still got a punishment. He has a consequence. But he realizes that he was miserable when he was trying to cover up his disobedience. And he felt great relief when it came out into the open. So I hope children will learn that covering up disobedience, covering up sin is futile, whether it's from your mom or your dad or God. But also it, it, it leads to misery. And I think that's just important for parents to learn as it is for children, because there's so many times, even though it's illogical, we know we can't hide anything from God. We try to deny our own sin or hide it from others so that we can appear all cleaned up before God. But as long as we're doing that, we'll be miserable. It's relief comes with repentance and confession. So I hope that's something that children will learn at a, at a, you know, young developmental level, mm-hmm. but it's also something that parents can be reminded of in their own lives. Yeah, that's so true. And it really is that lifelong principle. It doesn't like you just need it when you're a child. <laughs> we, right. we all need that as adults as well. You wrote a great article for TGC recently about moral formation, and I would love to kind of dive into this a little bit with you. You differentiate in that article between moralism and moral formation. And I know a lot of people will hear moralism and think, you icky, because mm-hmm. they should, you know, in that sense. But it doesn't mean we we toss morals out the window and we just don't engage in understanding what God requires of us. And so I'm wondering if you can define these two terms for us and share with us the importance of understanding the difference and how the gospel informs moral formation. Yes. Yeah, so moralism takes something good which is morals, and makes it into its own religion. So it's kind of a form of self-salvation where you try to do what is right and make yourself worthy of being saved. In contrast, the gospel says that none of us are worthy. We need Christ's righteousness to atone for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need moral formation then. Those of us who are saved want to live according to God's commands because they allow us to live the life that God intended for us, and they allow us to walk with Him. And moral formation also helps us discern what is sin. So you can't really understand the gospel without understanding what sin is, and you can't understand what sin is without some knowledge of the law or of what is moral. So moral formation is very key to understanding the gospel and living the Christian life. It's very different from moralism that says, if I just do everything right, God will accept me. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. I think probably every Christian mom who's listening, or and I mean, we don't just have moms that listen. We have single women. We have single moms. We have um, young women that listen. So this isn't just for parents. But as a mom of children at various ages, I can look at some of the literature they read and spot moralism that seems in some ways obvious. I think back to what I grew up on 
Uh, my parents gave me some great books. And then there were some other books that were mixed in that were they just thought maybe were good books, maybe didn't read everything in between the, the front cover mm-hmm. and back cover for me. Um, but I think about things like Uncle Arthur's bedtime stories. And I, I think about how as a child, there's actually one of those stories that stuck out and stuck with me mm-hmm. for my whole life. And it was really showed a, a girl that I just did not want to be like. I didn't want to be a girl who was one person to her mom, like a rude, nasty girl to her mm-hmm. mom and then went to school and was sweet to her teacher. And I just mm-hmm. remember that sticking with me through my entire childhood. But I picked up a copy of Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories for my kids. And I was, I was reading through this. My husband and I kept looking at each other going, this is moralism. Like, oh, there's wow. so much in here that it's just like, be good be like this boy. Don't be like this boy, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, And I thought, I want to kind of avoid this. So I'm wondering, do you have any red flags that kind of are obvious ones to you that might signal moralism in our children's storybook or a book that they're reading? And also, does, do you find that this messaging sometimes surfaces in Bible storybooks as well? Yes, that's a great question. So moralism can take different forms in stories. One might be um, that characters only and always do the right thing. So that but those stories are usually pretty boring, but mm-hmm. they were just held up as an example. Um, this is the this is the child that always does the right thing. Right. Probably more common than that would be a story where anytime you do the right thing, everything works out well for you. Now that is not the way that life works. You know, um, I mean, there's lots in the Bible about in this world, you will have trouble if you are following Jesus. You have Mm -hmm. to take up your cross and follow him. But um, there's a certain kind of moralism that if you just do the right thing, everything will turn out well for you. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that if if somebody gets rewarded for doing the right thing, the story is necessarily moralistic. But in in Stories that, that emphasize moralism, you often will have good characters and bad characters and there's nothing in between. Right. In, in stories that are going to really form your moral imagination in helpful ways, there's often good characters, characters that you're really rooting for who do something wrong, but mm-hmm. then they learn why they shouldn't have done that. Um, and hopefully there's some kind of, uh, redemption that happens in the story, uh, but that's different than just sorting people into, are you a good character or a bad character? You want well-rounded characters that grow and develop to help really have good moral formation. Now, when it comes to Bible stories, there definitely has been a, a tradition of children's story Bibles teaching moralism through holding up the human characters as an example. Now, it's not always wrong to look at the behavior of characters in scripture and either see them as a negative or a positive example. I really don't have a problem with that. The, the thing that goes wrong in Bible stories for kids is when you view them as disconnected from the whole story. So they are all part of the story of salvation and the hero of that story is Jesus. Yeah. So the hero is not David, the shepherd that slays Goliath. The right. hero is not Moses who parts the Red Sea. All of those are are Bible stories and there's things that we should emulate and things that we should not emulate, but we just need to see them part of a whole so that we know Jesus is the hero, not some character who made the right choices. Yeah, that's so helpful. And 
you really gave me a lot to think about there as well. I really want to kind of maybe look through what my kids are reading again. I, I'm pretty careful, I would say, on the whole. Like We try to stock our bookshelves with really good living stories. I know I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with like Charlotte Mason and yeah. some of her philosophies on um, children's literature. And I, I'm not a Charlotte Mason educator, but I really do value that idea of giving our children living books that really give them an opportunity to consider the values and the the morals really and what they're taking in. Yes. And you know, if you find if you find books on your shelf that you feel like have some moralism in them, I wouldn't necessarily pull them and never let your children see them. I'd talk about it with them. You know, because yeah. I think you can really gain a lot through that just as much as through a really good story. Um, just analyzing it with your children and thinking, well let's think about how this was portrayed and is that the way the yeah. world works. Yeah. And that's kind of why, like, I haven't gotten rid of the Uncle Arthur's bedtime right. stories because my kids actually do like them, mm-hmm. but it's a good opportunity to talk through it. Like, okay, well, it, how have you acted in a situation like this? Have you ever found yourself, you know, in this particular predicament or something like that? And it does provide a good, you know, launching place to discuss those those sort of issues with them. Have you has this been a topic that you have been involved in studying for a long time, or is it just something that has recently become really important to you? Well, I've always loved literature. I was an English major in college, um, mm. and I've always loved children's literature. More recently, in the past few years, the Gospel Coalition has book awards, and I've served as editor of the or the uh, overseeing the children's book category. So I've had lots of Christian publishers sending me the books that have just been recently published. And there's some great things being published out there, but I just kept seeing a hole in the, in this area. And I thought about a lot of the books that I loved growing up and, and really feel like there's not much being published by Christian publishers that, that has really engaging stories that teach moral formation. There's some great things that teach the story of salvation and teach theology, but um, that got me thinking a lot about how do we have uh, good story-driven Christian literature for children that helps with moral formation. That's so great. I was thinking also when you were talking about how it, it doesn't always have to be Christian literature that gives us an opportunity to discuss moral formation with our kids. I actually had um, an experience with my littlest girls talking about Fancy Nancy mm-hmm. <laughs> And this girl just is in the story is throwing a tantrum basically or just feeling really, really sorry for herself because she doesn't have matching pajamas with her friends. And it was just such a sweet moment to sit there with my girls and say, well, is the problem with her pajamas or is it somewhere else? And my six-year-old goes, oh no, the problem's in her heart. It's if you change her pajamas, it's not going to fix her heart. And so I was like, oh, we're not losing here. We're actually doing okay. But it was really great to just talk about like, using something that is not intended for Christian purposes to actually have those conversations. It might require a little creativity, but it's worth it. It is. And sometimes Christian books can give you all the right answers rather than children having to come up with them themselves. So I think that's an excellent example of you were, you were doing moral formation through reading a book that that maybe wasn't even the goal of the book, but you, you right. as a parent were able to use it. Yeah. So have you had any personal experiences, Betsy, that have really shaped the way you engage with moral formation in literature. I know you mentioned that you were you studied English in college and is there some books that perhaps shaped your moral imagination significantly? 
There have been lots of them. Uh, thinking about it, the one that really stands out in my mind, um, and this is more as a, a late teen and a young adult, that it, it really was formative for me. But growing up, I was an idealistic, young, Christian teenage girl. And I think I had in my mind, you know, as you think about, oh, what kind of man would you like to marry? I really had right. in my mind, I would like to marry a great man, someone who's going to be great, who's going to be famous, who's going to, you know, do wonderful things, be a sort of a hero. And as I, I was in college and I read a lot of Victorian literature, one book in particular, Middlemarch um, by George Eliot, great book, mm. long book, <laughs> but there's right. a character in it that I really identified with. Her name is Dorothea and she marries a much older man who's brilliant and he's writing this epic book. And she marries him not necessarily because she falls in love with him, but because she thinks she can assist him in his great work. And after mm. they're married, she realizes there's there's this facade of greatness and really he's quite insecure and he doesn't want her help. And she's all of a sudden trapped in this marriage because she had made this man into some figment of her imagination. And that was such a good warning for me not to look at marriage that way as somehow finding fulfillment through finding a man that was going to be great, but, but recognizing that God calls men and women to all kinds of different callings and that uh, the way that we serve him isn't always by doing something that makes us famous or that yeah. our name will live in history. And so I'm, I'm just glad that I read that when I did so that mm. I, I didn't uh, make an early marriage that was based on some sort of figment of my imagination. That's really good. That I love that story. That's so neat. I think I probably would have been swayed in a different way as a, as a young mm-hmm. teen girl. Do you know the Elsie Dinsmore books? Do you? Know, do I, I haven't read them, but I, I've heard of them. Yes. Yeah. Those were some that just got so involved with those as a, like, I don't know, maybe 13. And I think those are so bad. Well, <laughs> I really do. You know, I read, um, I read quite a bit of Christian fiction when I was in yeah. high school. And um, I remember several books where the heroine would fall for sort of a bad boy and her love would reform him. Yes. And that is such a harmful message. Time, It's so bad. Like I can think of all these Christian novels that were in the church library that I would take home. Right, right. I can't believe the stuff I was absorbing from that. Some of those are just dangerous, actually. It's true. For our children, are there resources that we can use to continue to shape their moral imaginations that you would love to recommend? Yes. So one really good source for finding other books, there's a book by Gladys Hunt called Honey for a Child's Heart. Yeah. So she had, it's a great book on on the sort of things we're talking about, but then she has book lists um, in the back. So I would say that's a great place to find stuff. There's also one called Books Children Love by Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Wilson. Yes, Those are two good resources. And then also on our site, the Gospel Coalition, if you just Google, not even on our site, but if you just Google classical Christian reading list, it'll come up. And there's, um, by ages, there's lots of great books on that list. So those will be three ways to look for books that will help your children form moral imaginations. Now, that doesn't mean everything in those books is going to be good, but these are books that are going to have good stories, a lot of meat that will... Uh, encourage good conversations. Yeah, that's so great. And I've I have both of those books, and we've utilized that reading list pretty extensively. It's been very helpful in building our family's library and finding oh, books at the library. And have you ever heard of the book tree? That's another one that I came across. No, recently. the book that, tree. 
Yeah, it was, it's kind of a crossover. Maybe there's a lot of similar titles in Honey for a Child's Heart and, Mm -hmm. and the TGC list, but that's another resource um, that I found very helpful as well. So I kind of, I like to go back to those and figure out like, oh, what don't we have? You know, what could we maybe pick up? Yeah. We'll make sure we put those resources on our show notes for people to access. When it comes to choosing literature, are there some common mistakes that you notice people making? Well, I think one, which is very easy, I know, as a parent to do is to let your children pick out what they want to read. And if if you go into a bookstore and a child picks out a book, they're going to pick out the glitziest one they can find usually. Oh, sure. So, and that's not necessarily bad or wrong, but it's sort of like letting them pick out cotton candy, whereas you want to give them good food that's going to nourish them and that they're really going to enjoy more. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, even it's probably going to be you're probably going to find more good literature in the library even than in your bookstore. And the reason for that is books that are in the library are books that have stood the test of time usually, whereas the bookstore has lots of new titles that are going to come and go. So I would say try to give your children a steady diet of older books. I don't necessarily mean like books that are 100 years old, but even books that you read as children, you know, books that have stood this test of time. And some of these books, as your children are older and start reading chapter books, I would say, you know, the, there's the adage, you can't judge a book by its cover. And that's mm-hmm. certainly, it's, it's, a, it's an adage for a reason. It's true. There's going to be times that children are not drawn to a book, but you as a mom know they're going to really love it if they get into it. And I think mm-hmm. it's, it's worth making them read 25, 50 pages, depending on how long the book is. To say, you know, you don't have to read it, but this is how many pages you have to read, just so that they give it a shot. Um, And even though it may not have the great illustrations or it may not have the saucy title, you know, to to give them a chance to read these great books that are going to stick with them. Yeah, I actually did that exact thing with one Mm -hmm. of my boys about um, Farmer Boy. And then I did it later with um, The Hobbit. I just said, look, I just want you to get through chapter three of this book. And then if you hate it, you can put it down. But I want you to read this much. And after that, he didn't put it down and he really did love it and went on to continue reading the rest of the series of The the Lord of the Rings. So yeah, I I definitely think that is a a wonderful suggestion and it does work. I can personally attest to that. Good. I loved your cotton candy analogy. Also, I wanted to say (laughs) my son actually yesterday was telling me how much he hates cotton candy ah! because he said it looks like it's going to be great you think it's going to be wonderful and he said it melts in your mouth and it makes your mouth feel gross and i was thinking like <laughs> you're saying like those books like cotton candy it's like they will make you feel gross sorry about that but and you will. can't remember them afterwards you know no. it's just gone yeah so true Do you have some encouragement for listeners who want to cultivate good conversations with their children about books and stories? I'm totally using that cotton candy analogy with my kids the Mm -hmm. next time I want to do this. But do you have any other hot tips for for listeners who want to just figure out a good way to dive into good conversations? Well, I think one way is they don't always have to come right on the heels of reading the book. You know, sometimes it's sort of natural to read a book and then ask comprehension questions. But instead of just doing that, you could, when you're riding in the car or, you know, at bedtime, bring up a story that you read and say, you know, remind me of that story and what happened and then start talking about what, what happened in the story. That's just a way to help children think about it and to make the the story outlast the reading session. Another one, I mean, 
this is not going to be a new idea, but just reading aloud to your children is an excellent way to have conversations. It's such a great thing for a family to do together because you experience the books together. And I think when you are, when your child is going through something, whether it's a discipline issue or something they're struggling with, if you can think back through things that you've read and sort of remind them uh, even fictional characters of when they went through things it can be really helpful like for example Mm -hmm. pilgrim's progress is familiar story many christian families read it you know if if a child is going through something hard and you remind them of some of the things that christian faced that helps them learn to see their experience through through a, a story through a narrative and it really is great for forming their moral imagination and forming their faith so those are just a few suggestions of things to do to try to have those conversations and like we talked about earlier if you get halfway through a book and realize this is a terrible message don't mm-hmm. necessarily slam it shut but talk about it with your kids right. and see if they can learn to recognize those things that's really helpful and i know i keep saying that word sorry no problem at all <laughs> This is making me think a lot, and I'm really thankful for that opportunity to just kind of think about um, what I'm doing. And for the rest of the summer, like we're recording this in late July, and this is going to go out fairly soon here, and going to think about what we're doing for the rest of the summer with our reading material and and engaging in some of those conversations on an upcoming road trip. And I hope, I think though, that this is a really timeless conversation, and and, um, people are going to be really blessed by this. So thank you so much, Betsy, for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, most of my writing is at the Gospel Coalition. I have a website that I need to update. It's 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 fairly out of date, but BetsyHoward.com um, has some of my writing and um, a list of books and things that I've done there. So either one of those would be, and then I'm on Twitter as well. Okay. We will make sure we put those in our show notes. Before we close out, I want to ask you that question that I ask every guest what has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in walking faithfully with Him? Oh, well, you know, I have a new baby, so I, most of my time is spent with Him, and He's not talking yet, so um, I do things to try to break up the day, and I've been playing a lot of music for Him, and one great thing about streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music is I can find the music that I listened to when I was a small child, and I've been playing yeah. some of that for him. And it's just been really sweet to listen to that music with him and to think about God's faithfulness in my own life to, you know, form my faith through these songs and pray for him as I, you know, I'm listening to them that his faith would be formed as well. And, you know, there's the, as you mentioned earlier, occasionally I'll, I'll hear something and think, wow, I didn't realize that was in there. I'm not sure that is great <laughs> theology, but for the most right. part, it's wonderful to listen to these things and to, to just give thanks to the Lord that he um, gave me Christian parents and gave me the gospel. Praise God. That's beautiful. Well, thank you again. It's been a joy to have you here today, Betsy. Thank you. Friend, I'm so glad you are here for one more conversation before we take this break for the summer. You can connect with us, though, on social media at the Women Encouraged page on Facebook and on Instagram at Women Encouraged. Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We might read these verses and think only of the heavy task of raising our children, 
But the reality is we actually get the joy and privilege of sharing God's character and how his ways are good. And this is a task we can embrace with delight. Friend, I'm praying for you, whether you're picking out your last few summer reads or you're planning the book list for school this year, that you'll consider sharing God's truth through story. Thanks again for being here.